This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive. Hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our show. Today we'll hear from Andrew Kittredge on how he avoided Tommy John surgery. Aresses Distrata of Bally Sports Sun will discuss the week gone by. Ryan Bolt will join us from the alternate side to discuss his comeback story. Stan Borowski will break down the ever-changing Rays bullpen. And Todd Callis will preview this week's series with the Astros. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball with really one of the terrific stories early on in this Tampa Bay Rays team, and that's one Andrew Kittredge. And, and Kit, first of all, Give me a feel. How surprised are you about how you're throwing right now, considering all that you've been through over the last, I don't know, six months or so? You know, as it pertains to the injury, very surprised. I think when I opted to not do the surgery and try to rehab it, um, I mean, I was as skeptical as anybody that that wasn't going to work. The only reason that I was so willing to go ahead and try it was just the time frame that we had. You know, I could have had the surgery right after the injury in August and pretty much would have missed all of this year. And then the idea to wait and try rehabbing it for three months and see how my arm responded. If it didn't work, would have had the surgery in, you know, November, December, somewhere around there. And I'd be in the same position. I would have missed all of this year. So, you know, it was kind of shot in the dark, I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe it wasn't as risky as, as I thought it was. But at the time, it just, it, I don't know. Maybe I didn't know enough about it, but... I kind of thought we were delaying the inevitable, but, you know, I had guys that know a lot more about elbows than I do, and and they were saying it was worth a shot, so um, I was just kind of trusting that they are a lot smarter than me, and when it comes to that stuff, and, uh, you know, we'll give it a chance, and then, you know, here I am, like you said, whatever, six months later, and and I feel great with, uh, with no issues, so, yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised, but pleasantly surprised, definitely, and... You know, anytime you can avoid surgery, I think that's a good thing. Amen on that. Walk us through what's going through your mind on August 12th as you're walking off the mound at Fenway Park. What did you feel and what are you thinking at that point? Um, Honestly, you know, it's funny. The pitch that I threw that caused the injury, I mean, it hurt, but it didn't, it wasn't excruciating pain. It was definitely something that I had never felt before. So I knew something was wrong, but initially what I was thinking I mean granted I've never had I've never dealt with an elbow injury like that before I didn't really know expect or know what to expect to feel but my my first thought didn't go to possible Tommy John until 
you know, our head athletic trainer, Joe Binge, had kind of hinted towards that a little bit, like, this is kind of what we're looking at you for. And then it was like, oh, man, I I thought, I kind of thought that it would have hurt more. I mean, it hurt when I threw the pitch, but it just, it kind of felt more like a grab. I know that's some kind of a sensation that some guys describe with that injury, but, you know, it's not like the standard, you know, they say it's a pop or something. Um, it, it definitely didn't feel like that. It felt a little bit more muscly than than I would have expected with the with the tendon. But that being said, you know, <laughs> I didn't really know what to expect to feel. I As soon as he kind of hinted towards, you know, this is what we're checking you out for is a possible UCL issue. Yeah, then I, you know, started thinking, hey, man, I might I might be out for 12 to 14 months or whatever, whatever that rehab time is. But, you know, I definitely, you know, just wanted to, before I got any super quick judgments, wanted to, uh, you know, see what the doctor said and, and go from there. And just, like I said earlier, just trust that they're a lot smarter than me and, and they know a lot more about elbows than I do. So uh, just kind of wait and see. But yeah, I mean, for a little bit there, I was, had just gone with the assumption that I just am expecting to need surgery and anything better than that is, is a bonus. So how, when did you get a shot? And then walk us through the process. How long were you in St. Pete after that? versus your home up in Washington State? So the injury happened on the road, on that road trip. And, you know, with the COVID protocols and everything last year, it wasn't as easy to just leave a road trip or whatever. Um, They were trying to keep everything, protocols and everything. So I I did actually finish that road trip, I think, or pretty close to it. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) I think maybe I flew out. No, I think I did go back to uh, St. Pete with the team. And then I went and flew down to... um, Texas to see the doctor down in in Dallas and that was the same I was there for uh, two days and the first day was just kind of you know go over what the options are and everything and then it was uh, just go ahead and have the injection that next day with the idea of you know we're going to give it a week or so just to kind of let the injection kind of sit there and hopefully do what it what it's supposed to do and then um, and then start rehabbing uh, about a week after that so it was I think it was about a week after the the day that the injury occurred that I had that injection and, um, and then just kind of got to rehabbing and then uh, I was able to go home for most of November and then I came back in December just to test the arm out and throw a bunch of bullpens and and basic confirm that I was ready to go I guess I mean I through that whole process I was still at times a little skeptical but for the most part as soon as I started throwing baseballs in October uh, I didn't really have any issues with the arm uh, the whole way through up to my max effort bullpens there in December. And at what point did you have to were you taken off the roster and then had to decide whether you're going to re-sign with the race too because that's all in the middle of this. So I got a call from from Eric about I think it was about three days after the World Series was over and you know, unfortunately, just with the situation with the Rays last year, having so many guys get hurt is a little bit more of a roster crunch in the offseason than, than normally would have been having to keep guys on the 40-man that are hurt. You know, he, he called me to tell me that they were going to take me off the roster, but in the same conversation, just said, hey, man, we really want you back. This is kind of a roster spot issue, not a, not a we-don't-want-you issue. They, right out the gate, you know, had just expressed to me how much they wanted to keep me around and... That was, uh, you know, a big comfort to uh, to hear that right away. You know, I like it here a lot. I wanted to come back here. But at the same time, you know, this is the first time, really, that I have uh, was able to kind of 
be a free agent for a little bit. I mean, being hurt, it's a little different situation just because, you know, you're kind of looking at possibly needing surgery and everything. So um, the kind of talks that you're having with teams are a little different because it's a lot of it's hypothetical. But really, when it really came down to it, I mean, I just, uh, I really wanted to be back here in Tampa. You know, I really like it here. I like the team. I like the staff. Front office is outstanding. You know, it's just, it was, it ended up, it started as a hard decision because I did have a couple other options and, you know, some of them were good options. But uh, when I really came down to it, you know, I don't think I really went too far away from what I would had been thinking all along, which is that I think I wanted to play back here. So, you know, it kind of all ended up working out for me in, in a good situation and uh, got healthy again. And here we are. It certainly looks like you made the right call for sure. What have been your best moments with the Rays? Andrew, and we're chatting with Andrew Kittredge on this week in race baseball because this is the only team that you've had big league games with. There's a ton. I, it, I'm fortunate that I wasn't able to be with the team last year uh, when we made that awesome playoff run and get to the World Series and everything. But I tell you what, that watching Mike Brasso hit that home run off Chapman in the in the playoffs last year, on watching it on TV, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like sitting there on the bench or in the bullpen or whatever when that happened. But that was that was one of my favorite Rays moments. But, I mean, for me personally, uh, going back to my debut was, was really cool in 17 in Oakland. Um, you know, kind of just something that, uh, you know, at that point in my career had kind of almost not given up on the, on the idea, but just kind of never really thought that I would maybe make it to the big leagues. And then to achieve that, that was pretty special for me. And then... Uh, you know, getting to the playoffs back-to-back years was, was cool and feeling like I uh, contributed to that. And, and even my short stint last year before I got injured, you know, I was, felt like I was throwing the ball well and, and was able to contribute and, and help them out. So, yeah, I mean, I can't really, you know, pick out too many. I've, I've just really enjoyed my time here with everyone. The bullpen's always been great uh, as far as the guys that we got there. Not just, I mean, obviously we know what, what the guys that we got can do on the field, but just great dudes off the field, great guys to sit down with there for 162 games and have conversations and be around. So I think those are the things that stick out to me. I mean, it's more so the the relationships that I've built over the last four or five years here in this organization and rather than any specific game or outing or, or event or anything. I would assume when healthy Oliver Drake is the loudest one in the bullpen and Pete Fairbanks is not far behind, who's someone who's a little sneaky, talkative in that pen that we don't hear about? I think I am. I think I'm a little sneaky, talkative in that pen. Drake has definitely got everyone beat, but he's great too. I mean, I, I think a lot of guys uh, really enjoy being around him. He's just got pretty, um trying to think of... A word to describe his personality but it's just he's constantly going he's his motor's always running and he's he's always got something good to say too i mean it's it's not just talking just to talk it's he's talking and it's and people are listening so i know chaz historically is is real quiet but when he speaks guys listen just because uh it's usually really good so that's that's always a fun one to to be around too you've kind of grown up in this organization i know you started with seattle but i mean you've you now have a, what, nearly two-year-old son. What's it meant to kind of grow up from that regard, and, and what has fatherhood meant to you? Being a dad is awesome. I think the, the the only thing right now is that when we go on the road, I don't get to see him. But uh, that's obviously been one of the coolest things that happened to me in my lifetime. Um, you know, he is, he is almost two. He'll be two in June now. And it's just he's at that point where 
every day it seems like he's learning something new and he's talking so much more and more every day and uh it's just a blast to be around i mean i'm my wife and i are so blessed to have brooks and um i don't know he he's changed some perspective for me just you know wants makes me want to be a better person and, and make better decisions so that i can hopefully uh pass those along to him too so uh that's been uh that's been so much fun my wife and i are are very blessed to have him and and uh it's been really fun watching him grow up but as far as my my own personal kind of uh growing up with the rays like you said uh i do feel like i've you know matured as a as a man and as a player since i've been over here um, I've learned a lot of things from from some veterans that we've had here in the past. You know, the Sergio Romos and Tommy Hunters and guys that have kind of come before and and had conversations with them and really was able to kind of pick some things from from each of them and and carry them on myself and hopefully you know pass them along to some of the younger guys here too. So it's really been a good group ever since I've been here. It's not just the guys we got now. Too a lot of the guys that we've had in the past have have really helped me out and, and helped mature me and, and grow as a as a pitcher and as a, uh, a human. So been pretty fortunate, I think. It sounds like fatherhood has fit you well, and I'm sure that occupies a lot of your time when you're not playing baseball, but is there anything else you like to do? Are you a gamer? Are you a reader? What, what kind of are you doing, you know, now to occupy your time? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I do a little bit of everything, I think. I, I play some video games every now and then, but ever since I be, have become a father, I, <laughs> I definitely don't have near as much time for that anymore. Uh, I pretty much get my, my gaming fix when we're on the road, and I am not around my son, but uh, I don't know. In the off-season, I like, I like working in my garage and making stuff with wood. I'm kind of just uh, getting into a little bit of woodworking stuff. I'm, I'm very, very amateur, I you know. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I like I like attempting to do stuff. And man, I like building stuff. I like using my hands. I and then obviously I'm a huge sports fan, so just uh, pretty much any sport I can watch. Big hockey guy. I don't know. I think you guys know that. Mm-hmm. Who's your Who's your? Now you have a team in Seattle. So how big is that for you? That's gonna be fun. You know, we'll see. I think they got the expansion draft coming up this summer. You know, we'll see what kind of players we get. But yeah, I'm gonna be you know a Kraken fan. I still you know I'm. I've been a man without a hockey team pretty much ever since I got into hockey, but uh, I'll probably default to the Kraken. But I I still do like the Lightning. Obviously, they've been they've been fun to watch. You know the success that they had last year, and not just last year too, but you know the last handful of years they've been very very good. But but as of now, my my hockey fandom is is kind of I pull for players, and there's certain teams that I guess I like more than others, but don't really have one that I absolutely have uh, an allegiance to but uh, watching Tampa you know has been has been a lot of fun with the success that they've had their uh, their fun team to watch for sure what kind of hockey player is Andrew Kittredge would he have been a bruising uh, defenseman uh, 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 what have we been pesky forward well I can skate I can skate but I can't really handle the puck so I don't really know what you do with that put him on the D line and hopefully I can take up some space and block some shots maybe. So I, I probably got to be a defenseman cause I got no hands, but I don't know. I think defensemen actually need really good hands. So I'd probably be a pretty good bench player. I think. <laughs> well, we've enjoyed watching you pitch and work out of the bullpen and we're certainly glad you're healthy and contributing the way you are. 
Uh, Kit, thanks for a few minutes and continued success. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's Andrew Kittredge joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. We'll continue right after this on the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball with a week gone by. And joining us from Valley Sports Sun is Arrestes Destrada. And, oh, we are now three weeks into the regular season. The Rays hovering around 500. Uh, what's your take on the first three weeks? As far as the fact that they've had so many injuries, especially the pitchers, predominantly the pitchers, Neil, as we both know, uh, and those that follow the Rays, this has been very debilitating. And the fact that they're hovering right around 500, I'm very impressed. The fact that they swept the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, went on a really good, you know, five out of six road trip. The offense, you know, showed its its wares again, uh, averaging over seven runs in that road trip. That was outstanding. You know how good a road trip this team, you know, was last year and was the year before. So those are important things. Now, there are factors that, you know, I wish, you know, when they've they've played bad, uh, the risk has been, you know, atrocious, and you know there've been opportunities. You know where you're sitting there going, "Wow, we could we could have snuck that game." Uh, but all things, to, you know, total total with the, with the pressures of a really daunting scenario in in the bullpen that scares me. To be honest with you, as as the season progresses and you get deeper and deeper, I, I can't I can't say that I'm you know upset about being right around 500. In fact, I'm very proud of them and very impressed with these guys. They're so resilient. I almost look at this as like an early round of a boxing match, that it's kind of like feeling one another out, uh, kind of learning what they have, what they don't have, and trying to get guys healthy. And it, and round two is pretty hard because you look at this schedule. They're playing Toronto right now. They've got Oakland, Houston, then at L.A., that Oakland. Um, I mean, this is a stretch where if you can survive and stay around 500, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Very good shape. And if you see what the American League East is doing already, you know, Boston has been a bit surprising, but but it's not like they're running away with anything. And, you know, nobody's really running away with anything. So it really is going to be that type of a chess mess. And you're right. It, it does feel like a feeling out and who's going to be able to to start separating from the pack a little bit. And I think the Rays have every opportunity and every chance to do so. I still feel that you need to get a couple of these guys back. I, I know that Nick Anderson is, is, is probably unrealistic for, for a good while. Uh, a Fairbanks definitely looks to be around the corner. Um, you know, th- those type of guys, uh, you know, obviously Castillo is more of a day-to-day type situation, thank goodness. But uh, And then, you know, the step-ups are going to be key. Guys that, you know, really step up, you know, a rich, uh, a Ryan Thompson maybe stepping up a little more. Springs, Cody Reed, you know, so it, when it comes down to it, it's, it's going to be you know, the bullpen and I knew that this year was going to be a bullpen type of a year because of the fact that as the season progresses, Neil, starters are just not going to be able, you know, you're not going to be seeing 200 plus inning starters. They're going to, you're going to have to tone them down just a little bit. Let's touch on the hitting because you mentioned they did score a lot on the last road trip. But to me, they're doing it without a lot of guys that are really red hot. I mean, other than Joey Wendell, they really haven't had a guy carry the offense this early point of the season. I actually think that's encouraging. Uh, Dramatically. I mean, really, when you think about it, my big three are Meadows, uh, Rosarena, and and, and obviously our boy Brandon Lau, and neither have really gotten super hot. You know, Randy's around the corner there. You're starting to see it. Uh, Brandon Lau had a couple of jacks in, you know, back-to-back games. And then Austin has been... Hot and cold. He'll go like a little two, three-game stretch uh, hot, and then he'll go, you know, two or three-game stretch cold. When you get all that together, oh, my goodness. And then you add in 
as I called it, the, the more steady guys, which has been, obviously, uh, our boy Joey Wendell, guys like uh, Yandy Diaz. I think that's a situation where now you get the, the other guys mixed in all together, and you get a, a real onslaught. And this is a team that I really can't think, feel can't put five runs up to six runs without a problem, you know, nightly in, in, in every game. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned Yandy for him, Manuel Margot, Mike Brasso, and Randy. I mean, this next next week to 10 days is fairly important just because you're going to face so many left-handers and, and you're going to need, I mean, all, way more than normal. I mean, there's this lefty, 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 and uh, I would have loved it because I was a switch hitter that, that preferred the right side. So uh, this would be a, 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 a icing for me uh, on a cake. So and and, and I, again, I was a missed enough to mention Manny Margot. What a what a what a player! When you think about this guy, is interesting because he came from San Diego, right? And kind of the, the swap off there, if you think about it, was uh, the year before. You know, was really with Tommy Pham. Uh, and he turns out to be kind of like that Tommy Pham type player who can play multiple outfield, you know, is really diverse as far as uh, on the bases, got enough speed. And in fact, he's faster than Tommy Pham much. But, but you know, he's a really headsy ball player. And offensively, you know, he really can hit the ball to all fields and, and it's pretty darn clutch. So, uh, yeah, those guys are going to be super key. Rosso just has good at bats. I mean, it, it just seems like, Mikey's always, even when he strikes out, he's, he's battling up there and he doesn't, you don't see one, two, three, he's done. Mikey, in fact, yesterday was a good, you know, a couple of days ago was a good example of a, of a nasty slider that he, that he punched out on, but goodness, if he didn't make the guy work. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, those guys, you know, really kind of getting hot and uh, the offense carrying the load, which I, I, I feel they have great potential to do so. Oh, one question on Randy. He doesn't think the league is pitching them differently to this point. Do you think so? And if so, how? I thought the, the, the Yankees were very, you know, careful with him. I think so, so you're going to see certain teams that really didn't get to see him and they're just going by video. You know, Kansas City is a good example of that, that are just kind of just, you know, they're going by the book a little bit. So you're going to mix it. You're going to see some mix and match on that. But there's no doubt that uh, they're coming up and in, you know, heavy on him they don't they don't want him to get his arms extended and the best randy that i've seen is when he's really not trying to do too much and just concentrating on getting that head of the bat out there as quick as possible which he has one of the quickest bats in the game when he when he when he's concentrating and focused because every now and then his swing will be surprisingly long so but when he's snapping the heck out of it uh my goodness there's, there's really not a pitch that he can't barrel up hard and, and and hit it about 110 miles an hour exit velocity so we saw that you know a couple nights ago i just think that randy is uh such a pure talent it's interesting to see some of the plays he's making out in the outfield uh it just shows the sheer talent and rawness that he has and yet you have to dial it back sometimes me myself and i mean and i'm a positive kind of guy but sometimes i get a little frustrated but i gotta dial it back because i gotta go shoot he's just 24, you know, 24, 25 years old. Oh, we certainly appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. Yeah, buddy. We got a great season. And as I always say, you know, enjoy the, these are the Rays of our lives. And that's the rest is distraught of Valley Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pinellas Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. 
Well, we continue on this week in race baseball and time to check in at the alternate site with a guy who I'm sure is happy to be playing in games, period, with all that he's had to deal with over the last couple of years, and that's outfielder Ryan Bolt. Ryan, thanks very much for a couple of minutes. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. Tell me what it's meant for you just to play in games at this point. Oh, it's it's awesome. I think I miss most just the competitiveness from going through the quarantine last year and everything to just to just compete at a high level against guys who are just trying to do the same thing. You know, um, I think that was the that was the thing that I missed the most. Uh, and just just being around teammates and just the camaraderie and just the competitiveness is, I think, what I missed most over the last uh, couple of year, couple of years that I was out. You know, I think so many people make a lot of uh, Brent Honeywell's comeback, and they should, but you've had to deal with your fair share as well. Give our fans a taste of what you had to deal with as an outfielder and uh, how long you were sidelined. Yeah, so around the All-Star break in, in 2018, while I was playing in Montgomery with the Biscuits, I broke my foot, um, so I was out the rest of that year, rehabbed it and everything, and I was healthy enough to go to the Fall League, and that fall and after... During the fall league is is where I uh, hurt my hurt my elbow and ended up having uh, Tommy John surgery that next uh, spring in in 2019. So I was all out of all of 2019, and then with COVID 19, um, obviously the minor league season was canceled. So I was all out all of 2020. So it was almost a full three years for my for myself not being on the field. And obviously there's there's a lot of ups and downs in baseball, but for me that was. That was a long time away from baseball, and just like I said before, just the competitiveness is is what I really miss the most, and uh, it took a lot of people and a lot of support around me to to get me back on the field, and um, that's why I feel very blessed to be back out there and competing again. And I want to touch on those people, but I'm also aware that I, I think there was a point where Brady Williams, who's running the alternate site, basically had the players give you a, an ovation, a standing ovation in the in the clubhouse for coming back. Yeah, it was actually uh, the first appearance I had in, in uh, the big league game uh, in spring training. I got a, I think I had an at bat, caught a ball in the outfield, and did that just that next that next day at stretch. Right after we were meeting and stuff, he just had everyone say that was my first my first game back in about three years, and everyone was real pumped for me because uh, I th- I don't think a lot of a lot of guys knew. So uh, it was it was pretty special just to just to get that team aspect of guys guys being pumped for me me being back so it was pretty special how touching was it just to get that support too from the organization and did you have was brady managing you i i think uh back in double a when you were hurt the last time he was yep yeah he was my he was my last manager so um it's awesome i mean just to have the support and the training staff that we have to be able to to get me back healthy and and firing on all cylinders again, it took a lot of effort from all the guys in the training room and um, all the guys in the weight room and everything. So I'm really happy with everyone that obviously helped me to get back to where I am today um, and performing at a high level again. Because there were some there were some days where I never had doubt that I was going to get back on the field again, but just the level of play, um, just because I haven't played for so long, I d- didn't really know where I was at. Just because you know you're you're not out there, you're not out there doing it for such a long time. So to come out this spring and and feel good was awesome. Who were the people that supported you most and have meant the most in your comeback effort? Yeah, definitely. First off, my wife. She's she's always my biggest support, um, and and my my parents and and my siblings, my family. They've always been there. They're always my always my biggest fans as well at home and then and then as far as the Rays um the training staff 
obviously played such a big part. Joel Smith and Aaron Scott in the training room and all those guys really just, that's what they do and they, they do a really good job getting people back on the field and, and, and playing well, you know. It's a lot of mental strain as well, so for them to, to keep me in it and just it's it's tough to it's tough to go in in the in the middle of winter sometimes when you're when you know you have a whole year left to to rehab and stuff to so for them to to keep it keep it light and um, just have that atmosphere in, in the training room and getting getting my body back to where it needs to be is was just a big a huge thing for me. So 2020, you would have been playing. It was your year coming off Tommy John surgery. So how are they watching you during during a pandemic? Is it all over Zoom? Are you playing catch with your brother what are you doing yeah so they they sent me a throwing program um to do back home once once we got sent home in march from from spring training i think the initial plan was for me if there was a normal season for me to be back around june maybe i think from from what i can remember but um since we obviously had that time i think that timetable got pushed back a little bit just to let my arm get even more rest and and build it up in a longer progression so i got just a big old spreadsheet of my throwing days from from Joel Smith in the training room and uh, he just call text a couple times a week just to check in and see how I'm doing um, just sending videos every once in a while and uh, yeah I would I would play catch in a uh, in an ice rink that obviously well, it was it was an outdoor ice rink with in the summertime with no ice so um, that was that was the spot that me and my brother uh, played catch to get my get my arm back in shape so yeah. And your wife, is she a former athlete? And if so, does that, I mean, what, how much is her support meant in all of this? Yeah, she played soccer in high school and she's a very competitive person too. So um, just, she, we've been together for a very long time. We got married in uh, November of 2019. So, um, but we've been together forever before that. So we've, we've always had each other to, to lean on. And I was, I was really leaning on her big through this time too. So it, it helps that She's she's a really competitive person too, and wants my best interest as as well. So yeah, she, she means a lot and um, really helped me through it as well. You have to love the game a great deal. For people who also don't know, you had what a meniscus tear your senior year of high school that led you going to Nebraska, and even prior to that, you were a left-handed thrower, right, and broke your left arm as as uh, before you hit your teens, and then had to become right-handed. Correct. I did. I did. I think I broke my left elbow throwing baseball when I was, I think, eight years old. Um, and it was kind of undiagnosed for a while, so I just kind of kept throwing through the pain and stuff. And then I think when I was 10 years old, I ended up figuring everything out and uh, had an MRI that showed I had some, some elbow issues. And they recommended I just don't throw with that arm anymore. So immediately I was just like, okay, time to go right-handed. And um, there's, there, that's when my brother stepped in again. And um, we just play catch in the backyard every day. And uh, it was actually my 11-year-old my Little League coach threw me a shortstop right away. And uh, I probably made a thousand errors that season, but uh, he just kept throwing me out there. And, uh, you know, it, that was, I think, the best thing for me to just throw me in the fire again and say, all right, you better learn quick. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was, I've always kind of been ambidextrous. I've always, the only thing I did left-handed was play sports. Um, I've always eaten and written right-handed. So I think that helped me out a lot too, just to be a little bit ambidextrous, ambidextrous to start. So tell me this, where does that, you had to have a lot of passion for, for the game to go through what you've been through. Where does that come from? When did you grow your passion for baseball? I think it started really young. My, 
my older brother Steven played baseball. He's eight years older than me, and uh, I just grew up watching his games. And he he was a good ball player too. And um, I just grew up at the ballpark watching his games. And then it was always just so fun with the with the group of guys that I played with growing up. And so playing baseball was just a really really fun thing to do. I think because I love the game, but also because the team the teammates that I had growing up were just so fun to be around and so fun to play with. And so I think that helped me grow my love for the game even more. So I think that was that was where it started and it's just continuing. I just love I just love being out there with with guys and competing. That's just what I love to do. Before your last injury and what I've heard since, people who watch you kind of a scouting report will say Ryan Bolt is not going to wow you the first day you see him, but you watch him a week, you're impressed. You watch him a month, you're even more impressed because he does everything fairly well. How would you give your, how would you grade yourself if you were watching you? Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I mean, if I might not take the most impressive BP, might not take the most impressive in and out and stuff before the game, but, but once, once they say play ball, I'm, I'm just there to play and uh, compete. I think that's just a big word for me today is compete, you know. That's just that's just what I've always done and I think like you said, I think I think I do everything pretty well. Um nothing stands out, but when it comes to game time, I'm I'm going to give give you everything I got and the thing that I take most pride in is just getting a quality at bat every single time. And I think that's one thing that I'm I was I impressed myself a little bit during spring training with the amount of quality at bats I had. I might not get a hit, but um, just to work the pitcher, see pitches, really helps me going forward um, into the season. And so I think that is kind of how I would evaluate myself. Well, we're glad to see you competing once again, Ryan. And uh, hopefully this journey ends up in the big leagues. Thanks for your time and uh, keep working. Thanks, Neil. I really appreciate it. That's Ryan Bolton coming up, Stan Borowski on the bullpen, and Todd Callis on facing the Astros. After this, this is This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball with a look at the bullpen, and joining us is bullpen coach Stan Borowski. And Stan, I would have to imagine that um, at least the beginning few weeks of the season, you guys have had as much change as I can remember, or as many challenges as I can remember due to injury. Oh, yeah, the turnover has been staggering, uh, really. You know, you come out of spring training and you think you have a set group, and within days, that that group is totally different than what you thought you were going to start the season with. And it just continues to change uh, almost weekly uh, with the number of guys that are going down. And so, piecing it together best we can. No doubt. And I guess the optimistic side of this is that there have been no season-ending injuries to the bullpen. You know, Peter Fairbanks is throwing. The hope is Jazz Rowe and Nick Anderson and, and Colin McHugh. All those guys will come back at some point in time. But until then, you have to really adjust on the fly. Well, I think it's a credit to the depth that we have. And, you know, like you said, these guys are all throwing. They're going to come back at some point. And being able to put the pieces in to fill those spots until they do come back is a testament to, you know, the front office and how they go about their things and and getting guys in here that are uh, capable of filling in, for sure. Let's talk about, I think, the rock-solid guy in the bullpen right now, and that's Diego. I I think maybe most impressive was the last road trip that he was willing to take the ball for more than three outs and also do so in the seventh inning, especially with Fairbanks and Anderson here. He really is the high-leverage guy, and he set an example for everybody, too. Oh, of course. Uh, he will take the ball whenever we ask him to. He's a professional. Uh, there's no ego involved. He'll take it in the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, whenever we ask him to. 
He understands how good he is in the high leverage situations that we ask him to pitch in. And it doesn't really matter to him whether he gets the save or uh, the hold or whatever the stat might be for whatever he gets to do that day. Uh, he just wants to be out there and helping the team win. And we had Andrew Kittredge on the program earlier. Stan, what's been most impressive about him as he avoided Tommy John surgery and seems to be throwing as well as I think I've seen him? Oh, yeah. He, he put in a lot of hard work uh, to avoid Tommy John. And, you know, once he got his injection and just watching him go about his routine with the trainers and the strength and conditioning guys and how he's been able to build the strength uh, around his arm around the elbow and all the support structures. Um, he, he's been really impressive. What have you been impressed most about with him, Stan, about his work, uh, about what he's done in the games? Uh, the strike throwing, uh, the velocity, the understanding of uh, who he is and what he does well and his willingness to just attack, continually attack the strike zone. He, he doesn't back down from anybody. He throws it over the plate. And he, regardless of the outcome, he just keeps attacking. And that's just him in a nutshell. I mean, he is straight attack mode. Ryan Thompson has had some pretty good moments this year coming off his rookie year. When he's going well, what particularly goes well for him? Uh, again, the strike throwing. When he's ahead in the count, he's really, really difficult to hit. Uh, he can sink it. He can slide it. Uh, his changeup is coming along. He's adding a, a cutter. And just his ability to attack the strike zone, uh, force early contact, force contact when the hitters are behind in the count, and uh, very similar to Kit, just straight attack. You're learning about a lot of other guys as we go, because Kittredge and Thompson and Diego Castillo you've had before. What have you liked most about Jeffrey Springs? He's kind of been forced into a role where he's your primary lefty right now. Well, he's learning on the fly. He's not been the high leverage guy in the past in his career. And we are kind of thrusting him into that spot and just watching him take that and run with it and develop himself and uh, being able to uh, compete at, you know, at, at the level that he competes at and uh, just his ability to bounce back and take the ball and uh, very similar to Diego, he doesn't care if it's, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever inning you ask him to pitch in, uh, he's, he's willing to take the ball and, and, and it's been impressive to watch. He's made big changes with his change up. How has that pitch improved since you've gotten him? Well, the depth of it has really, it, it, it creates a lot of separation off of his fastball. And when he's aggressive with it and he throws it out in front of his face and uh, really, really uh, stays accelerated through the pitch, that's when it's at its best. And he'll throw it any time, any count to anybody. Uh, that's his bread and butter. Uh, he also has the carry fastball. He's got the slider that he can land for a strike. He's got the slider that he can bury. And again, you know, just his willingness to take the ball in any situation uh, has been impressive. You're having to teach, as you mentioned, a lot is going on the fly here. Brent Honeywell is now part of the bullpen. How do you get him acclimated to whether it's warming up for an opener role or relieving or just starting to figure out how to get ready and recover? You just have to talk to him about getting over some of the mental hurdles that come with, along with going from being a starter and having all that time to get ready to go out and pitch to becoming a reliever and understanding that you don't really need you know, 30 pitches, 35 pitches in the bullpen to be ready and how to kind of anticipate your situation and have your body loose and ready to go when the phone rings and not having to wait until your name is called to start your routine. And he's, um, you know, watching the other guys in the bullpen and how they go about their business. Uh, he just kind of sits down there and watches and, and jumps right in and glad to have him down there. He's a great kid. I love Brent. And obviously the stuff is elite. Um, it's just learning how to use it in this role. Oh, yeah, the stuff is good. And just his ability to bounce back and, and learn what he's doing down there and our ability to challenge him a little bit and bouncing back quicker, you know, it's all going to come together for him.
Trevor Richards is kind of a, I don't know how, how you would describe his role right now, but how critical is it, especially with the way the, the staff is set up overall? Well, you have to have that guy that can run out there for 60 pitches. And whether it's to hold a lead, uh, whether it's to pitch when you're behind a little bit, just a bullpen saver kind of guy that can go out there and give you you know, two innings and 35 pitches, or he can give you four innings and 65 pitches. Uh, his stuff is that good, and he understands his role, and he relishes it. I know he's tried to develop that third pitch. How has that come along for him? Uh, it's coming along really well. Uh, the third pitch, of course, being the slider. Uh, his changeup is really good. He's got the carry fastball, you know, 10 plus carry, and the separation with the changeup off of that. Uh, the changeup is an elite pitch in the game, and the slider is coming along. I mean, he's he's throwing it whenever he wants to now. And again, a testament to Kyle and some of the things that he does with him, uh, with some of the technology that we have and being able to show him what works and what doesn't work and what makes it work better. And he's taken to it. Hunter Streckland is a guy who's got a lot of big league time, but he hasn't had much time with you. What have you guys tweaked with him and how can he be effective with the race? The big thing we've been working on with him is the velocity on his slider, just trying to keep him behind it a little bit more and create it, make it more of a power pitch than a finesse pitch. And again, he's another carry fastball guy. You know, he'll, he'll sit there in the mid nineties and the harder he throws his slider, the better it is because he's one of those, those guys that he, he can throw it at 87, 88 miles an hour, and it doesn't lose any of its movements. And that's what we're looking for. And he has the ability to do that. He just has to let it rip. And with some of the guys, you guys are on a long homestand now with some of the guys who are injured as they wait to come back, can they be of help just in terms of a mentorship role? And and if so, who is right now? Oh yeah, of course. Um, you know, guys like Oliver Drake and uh, uh, Jalen Beeks and Chaz Rowe, you know, they're, they're here in the clubhouse now. And as the guys roll in, you know, those guys are just finishing up all their rehab stuff and they sit around in the uh, locker room and they talk and they go over things. And, you know, the mentorship, like you said, just the constant uh, positive reinforcement that we get from those guys that are on the mend is very, really impressive how they're willing to take the younger guys under their wings and help them out. And that's really good stuff from the race bullpen coach, Stan Borowski. And now we turn to a good friend of the program in Todd Callis, of course, one of the voices of the Astros and longtime member of the broadcast team here to discuss Houston as they're in town next weekend. Todd, how are you? Neil, always good to talk to you. I'm doing well. Thanks. Give us a, a feel for Houston. Obviously, the Rays met them in the ALCS last year. A lot has stayed the same, but also a lot has changed, especially with George Springer now with the Blue Jays. George is the big piece missing from the offense this year. They're hoping that having Jordan Alvarez back and healthy for 162 games is going to help replace some of Springer's production. But yeah, you're not going to replace a George Springer. I know he's uh, been injury uh, riddled so far this year and hasn't gotten off to the start he wanted to with the Blue Jays, but he's a guy that is a difference maker in a lineup. And I would anticipate, you know, this year's offense with everybody else back and not George and a healthy Jordan may not be quite as good as last year, but they're going to be pretty close. I think they're going to score somewhere in the upper 800s, maybe even close to 900 runs. What's the biggest question mark then for this group during this season to you? For me, it's the same question that a lot of teams have. Getting to the finish line for 162 games with their pitching staff intact and ready to go for the postseason. Uh, you're talking about a team right now that has Zach Greinke eating up a lot of innings, but not a lot of other guys are. So I think just getting to the finish line, not chewing up your bullpen too much and hoping your starters give you innings like Greinke has and save that bullpen a little bit during the season. Everybody's going to do it a little bit differently, Todd. Uh, we're chatting with Todd Callison this week in Race Baseball. How many guys do you think they have that can be starters during the course of the 
this year, the Astros, that is? Uh, you got the five that are currently in the rotation. And we mentioned Greinke, Lance McCullers from Tampa. He'll probably start that opener against the Rays next weekend uh, if they stay in rotation. You've got Jake Odorizzi. So those are your three main guys that you expect to give you innings. And then Jose Arquiti is a guy that will probably be their four starter. And Christian Javier, who pitched well coming back from being at the alternate training site just his third start of the year. He'll be the fifth starter. Beyond them, you have Luis Garcia who can give you a start. You have Brandon Belak who can give you a start. Uh, Peter Solomon is a guy that made his big league debut on the most recent road trip. He can give you a start. Three guys right now that are probably viable options. Navalvo Rodriguez might be in the mix somewhere. Beyond that, you're, you, you know, maybe guys that we haven't talked about to this point. But I'd say eight or nine that they're comfortable with uh, during the course of the 162. What's the status on Valdez and what are the chances of him pitching this year? That's a good question. We're kind of left in the dark right now. We initially thought it could be close to a season ending injury. And then we were told it was a miraculous recovery. And so some right now we're somewhere in the middle. We don't think he's going to be available uh, in May, but maybe in June or July, we'll see Fromber. And if he comes back, that gives you another guy uh, that can give you innings because he was not only did he lead the Astros in innings pitch last year, if he had regular season or postseason, he led all of baseball in innings pitch so he could be a key guy in their ability to get to the finish line intact with their pitching staff houston are they deeper in starting depth or deeper in bullpen depth that's a good question i think it depends on whether you look at guys like josh james and austin pruitt coming back from injuries as bullpen guys or starters if you start to think about them as possible starters then their depth is with the rotation but i think more than likely uh, a pruitt who you guys saw with tampa bay and a josh james probably will be leaning towards the bullpen and if that's the case and pedro Baez comes back we haven't seen him since being acquired from the Dodgers. If Baez comes back from injury, now all of a sudden your bullpen looks a little deeper. Ryan Stanek, who Rays fans know very well, has pitched exceptionally well so far this year, only allowed two hits uh, going into today's game. They've both been home runs, but he's looked great. Ryan Presley, and then there's guys that are currently injured that contributed last year that should be healthy in the next couple of weeks. Andre Scrub, Anoli Paredes, Blake Taylor, uh, and then Brooks Raley, one of the other guys from last year who is healthy. So I think those swing guys, James Pruitt, Belak, how you view them as starters or relievers is whether the depth is going to be with the rotation or in the bullpen. You're, you know, no club is, has lost like a week or two, like the Marlins or Cardinals did last year, but you guys have been hard hit by COVID to an extent. How much has it impacted the group this early part of the year? Uh, it certainly impacted Jose Altuve, who's missed uh, almost two weeks now. Uh, beyond Altuve, you saw uh, Martin Maldonado and Alex Bregman and Robel Garcia and Jordan Alvarez missed first part of that road trip when they went to Seattle and lost two out of three. And then uh, they were active for the Colorado series, but they had also missed the last game of the previous homestand. So those guys were out four games. Uh, in general, it's hurt a little bit, but they weren't playing great before those guys went on the COVID list, and they came out of that not playing great. Uh, they finally got their legs under them a little bit with the first two games against the Angels, and once Altuve comes back, then they'll be fully healthy from that situation. I know that this is a contract year for Carlos Correa. Is it a distraction at all, or do you think it, it won't uh, impact? I, it's hard to tell. I think it, it's hard not to impact you because you're talking about a guy who is looking at the final year going into what will be his biggest contract of his life. And, and sometimes people have a hard time understanding that concept. And they're like, well, what's the difference of a guy's going to make 30 million or 50 million over the course of his life? He's still set for life. That's true, but it's still a big number, uh, which with every at bat, creating a plus or a minus as to whether you're going to earn more money next year or earn less money. I know Carlos has made three errors already this year, which is two more than he made all of last year in the mm. shortened season. So I think it's got to be affecting him some point. at some point. I can't imagine he's going home after those second and third errors and thinking uh, everything's going to be fine. He's probably stressed about it a little bit. He won't admit that. But I think whether it's Correa, 
or it's any of the other star shortstops, Trevor Story or Corey Seager, uh, that are going to be playing for a contract at the end of the year, I, I think uh, there's going to be some pressure on them for sure, or any other guys going into their walk year, uh, trying to earn as much as they can at, at the point of their career where they can make the most money. And the Rays are in this stretch where after this game against Toronto, they're going to see West Division teams, Oakland, then you, then back to the West Coast to see the Angels and A's. Is this uh, A's run for real right now? Is this how good they're going to be? Or were they as, they're not as bad, obviously, as the first week when you guys saw them? They were terrible that first week. Not only did the Astros sweep them, they beat them up. Like, none of the games were close. So uh, Astros scored eight runs or more in all four of those games, eight, nine, nine, and nine. And the A's then went in and lost two out of three to the Dodgers, ended up with a walk-off victory when Kenley Jansen couldn't close out a game or else they would have started out 0-7. Would have been their worst homestand in their franchise history. Hmm. And they go from that, they go from that to winning that game against the A's or against the Dodgers in walk-off fashion. Then they come to Houston, they play the home opener here, lose that game. So now they're sitting at 1-7 and and they haven't lost since. So yeah, it's crazy to think how good they've been during the stretch and how bad they looked that first week. They've already accomplished something that's never happened in baseball history, losing your first six games and then winning 11 games or more at, at some point in the season. So the A's are good. I think they're going to be the team to beat just like they were last year. I think the Angels could be right there. Big question mark for Joe Madden's team is always going to be uh, their starting rotation. If Shohei can stay healthy and give them 20 to 25 starts, that could be a huge boost. He's an otherworldly talent. Once Rendon comes off the injured list, uh, now all of a sudden you're talking about Otani and Trout and Rendon and Pujols in that lineup. Justin Upton, that's a very formidable lineup. Jared Walsh, very underrated what he's done the past uh, few months last year into this year. So uh, those are the three teams, I think. Seattle's off to a good start. I don't see them being in the mix at the end, but they're going to be right around 500, I think, but I don't think they're going to contend for a division title. And Texas is still in that rebuild phase, so they're a couple years away. Todd, looking forward to the series between the Rays and Astros next weekend. Obviously, uh, always uh, a pretty good battle between the two. Uh, hopefully, sometime we see you at the ballpark in person. We appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. Yeah, the only thing I would enjoy more, Neil, than being on this show would be there in person and see everybody at the Trop. So please tell everybody I said hello and uh, always great catching up with you. Great to chat with Todd Callis of the Houston Astros broadcast team and obviously longtime history with the Rays. And we certainly thank Todd and all the guests in the program today, including reliever Andrew Kittredge, who got his first save of the year yesterday, Arrestes Destrada, Valley Sports Sun, Ryan Bolt down at the alternate side, and also Rays bullpen coach Dan Borowski. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons. Next week, we will sit down with Mike Brasso, who is again in the lineup today. That and a whole lot more coming up on our show next Sunday. Thanks to my producer today, Derek Dubose. I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. It's the Rays and Jays wrapping up a series on this weekend on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, 4 1. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.